Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will, lie, will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion will feed together. And a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. Thank you, Heidi. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's so nice to be with all of you. I bring greetings from Guilford College, um, where I've been working since 2015. So, however long that is, uh, I've, I've, you know, lost track a little bit over the pandemic. Um, and also from First Friends uh, meeting, where my family and I are members, and where I hope my family is right now. Um, I haven't checked in to say for sure, but uh, that was the plan. Um, uh, it's, it's really great to be with all of you at Deep River. It's been a number of years. Um, I know it was before the pandemic, so, you know, it's, it's easy to lose, lose track of time there, but uh, it's great to be back. So I, um, before we begin, I want to offer up a prayer, so if you'll join me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. You might be familiar with the Quaker painter Edward Hicks. Hicks was born in 1780 to a father who was a British loyalist and who lost all of his money in the Revolutionary War and of mother who died when he was only 18 months old. He was raised by a close friend of his mother's, who was also a Quaker and brought, her, brought him up in our faith tradition. At the age of 13, he apprenticed as a coach builder and painter 
and later expanded to painting houses as well. Hicks wrote of himself as a young man saying, I was in my own estimation a weak, wayward man, exceedingly fond of singing, dancing, vain amusements, and the company of young people, and too often profanely swearing. <laughs> okay. He eventually started attending Quaker meeting more regularly because he wanted to, I think, cut out his profanely swearing habit and become a little less wayward. How's that working out for all of you? <laughs> Eventually, he became a recorded minister in his 30s. In order to fund his traveling in ministry, he started painting tavern signs, household uh, objects like ornamentals, farm equipment, and more. The work was rather lucrative and quick, something he could do in between his traveling. But it also caused some consternation among Quakers who frowned on Hicks making money through the arts. This way of living conflicted with how they understood the practice of plainness. So Hicks stopped his work uh, of painting and hoping of staying on the right path yet again. He tried his best at farming, but failed miserably because he was not adequately trained to farm. He almost went bankrupt trying to support his family and ministry doing this work. Eventually, Hicks left the ministry and became and went back to painting because that was his true passion and calling. He felt he could articulate better his understanding of his faith in God on the canvas rather than in the meeting house. He spent the rest of his life as a painter painting pictures that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. The one that he's most known for is the Peaceable Kingdom. So here's This is a painting that is based off of our text in Isaiah that Heidi read for us. It's a text of peace and hope, or at least a text describing what peace and hope can look like for all creation. Hicks' painting tries to capture the heart of the biblical text, portraying what in reality would be a conflict even a dangerous image of wild animals and children together. But here in this vision, there is peace. Some of his painting also depicts Native Americans meeting William Penn in the background. He offers idealized versions of our colonial history, but the sentiment remains. For Hicks, core to the Quaker faith, was a belief that we are called by God to live as best as we are able into the peaceable kingdom. Turning to Isaiah 11, we see a rather striking image 
of the poor and the meek being cared for justly, of wolves and lambs together, cows and bears grazing together, leopards and kids, and a nursing child playing in the mix of all these wild beasts. It is an image of peace. But it is an image of peace that is very radical in the sense that this peace includes the restoration of the human and the more than human world. Isaiah the prophet uses words to paint for us a powerful picture of the restoration of all of creation. I don't know about you, but I personally am drawn to this image, this vision of peace. Peace that isn't just about a lack of conflict, but is a world restored. A world where our climate is healed, where the air is clean, and where water is sacred. Where everyone has enough. The birds of the air, the creeping things, the deer and the squirrel, and the rest of God's children. Is this something that we want? What kind of peace do you long for? While I think most of us would love to witness this peaceable kingdom, there's a problem. Well, probably many problems, but let's start with one. The problem with peace is that we often want peace right now. We want an instantaneous peace. And if we can't get peace as a quick fix, we often give up. Friends know that peace without preparation and peace without working together is not possible. We often want calmness and kindness without having to speak into a group about our hurts or hardships. We often want community without a willingness to confess and forgive one another. We often want to move on without first naming the pain of transition and then being willing to let that pain go. We often want to discern together without facing into the conflict that is often necessary in discernment. We cannot have peace without preparation and trust in God's larger work. This vision of peace in Isaiah 11 is not an instantaneous thing. It comes about through preparation and work, and it comes through a trust in God's iterative work, iterative work in a community over time. I made an error this week when I was preparing my message. I was only reading and reflecting on Isaiah 11, not, not the uh, uh, best for a biblical scholar, without reading the rest of Isaiah 1 through 10 and seeing what is happening in those, uh, in those other passages and, and how the first hearers of that text would have heard it and seen it. But I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who's also a preacher, and he reminded me of chapter 10 and some of the other chapters before it. So here's an excerpt from chapter 10. 
Ah, you who make iniquitous decrees, who write oppressive statutes to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be your spoil and that you may make the orphans your prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the calamity that will come from far away? And then later in 10, look, the sovereign Lord of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The tallest trees will be cut down and the lofty will be brought low. He will hack down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon, with its majestic trees, will fall. So what do we hear? Conflict and challenge, specifically in 10, because of the injustices the poor face. Iniquitous decrees, oppressive statutes, that take advantage of the needy, that rob the poor of their right, and that continue to prey on the widows and the orphans. Because of this, God is judging both the empires of Judah, which is um, who Isaiah is speaking to, it's the southern kingdom, and also Assyria. There is conflict, not just because people were saying, weren't saying enough of their prayers or following the proper doctrine or making the right sacrifices, but because children have become prey and the poor have been robbed. Thus, it is going to be cut down. That is how much God cares about the poor the powerless, and the marginalized. That is how much God sides with those who Howard Thurman says have their backs against the wall. We cannot get to peace without first centering the marginalized and those who often go without having a voice in our communities. For Isaiah... For, for Isaiah sees that it will be a remnant of folks who will be faithful to that original vision that the prophet calls the people to. All of society will not turn, but there will be some who do, some who live into that peaceable kingdom. It comes, as Isaiah says, with a shoot coming out of a stump a branch growing out of roots. After everything is cut down, new life begins to emerge. This is the way that nature works. Isaiah is speaking to a people in crisis, a kingdom that was failing, falling. Everything is changing, and it feels as though they were losing control. They are in danger of being snuffed out by the Assyrian Empire, uh, which was rapidly growing in strength to the northeast. This word they receive is about 
what is still possible for those who are willing to be faithful, taking those small steps towards a new world. It is a picture meant to prompt and expand their imaginations. What the world could look like if they were willing to trust God and trust that God has been trying trust what God has been trying to do among them rather than that default to empire which put them in this situation in the first place this may seem at first strange to be an advent text what do expanding imaginations and falling empires have to do with the coming of the Christ child. But Jesus, the Son of God, standing in a long lineage of prophets and preachers, came to teach us how to achieve a community of people whose imaginations are shaped by this kind of vision from Isaiah. A community who constantly realigns its hope and expectations with what God wants of us. With visions like this where the poor and the powerless and all of creation are tended to as God's beloved. In Jesus' life, we see that there is no earthly empire or kingdom that will ever satisfy. But instead, the peaceable kingdom comes through iterations and small communities of faithfulness, just like this one here at Deep River. You know the thing that really fascinates me about Edward Hicks' work? It's not that he painted a beautiful painting of what the peaceable kingdom looks like, or that he's a singular figure when it comes to being a Quaker and an artist. It's that he kept painting the same painting over and over and over again, he painted upwards of a hundred different versions of the peaceable kingdom over the course of the last 30 years of his life. I was having problems with my printer, so I only have two more versions. I had like six planned out, but I couldn't print them all out. So now you've seen three of a hundred. <laughs> Carolyn J. Weekly, in her book, The Kingdoms of Edward Hicks, writes, of all the types of paintings Edward produced during his lifetime, none was repeated as often or with greater attention to change and refinement than the kingdom pictures. Now, he didn't do this to up his sales. Uh, evidence shows that he gave all of these paintings away. He did it to express his desire for unity and peace. In each iteration, he demonstrates, whether intentionally or unintentionally, the slow process involved in bringing about Isaiah's vision. 
Peace is about preparation. The kind of preparation that takes work inwardly in ourselves and outwardly in our communities through practice. Peace is about iteration and working out the details, trying things in faithfulness and in discernment, being willing to fail and try again. Just like the painter trying to capture their image just the way they see it in their mind's eye. Peace is about expanding our imaginations what we see and think is possible, what we are willing to try for. I like this idea of small shoots growing out of devastated places and new ideas and uh, emerging over time as we listen carefully to Christ present in our midst. And I was thinking about, um, is it Lee? Lee, were you the one who was sharing up here? And I was thinking about what Lee said about the nativity, the nativity scene, which we have one right here in front of us. Is that not another image of the peaceable kingdom? The child laying with wild beasts. Peace is about preparing and becoming open to what is about to be born among us. And the thing that is striking to me in both Edward's uh, paintings, in Isaiah's passage, and in the nativity, the coming child makes it all possible. Thank you, friends.